Hi, I'm Peter Lurie, and you're listening to a podcast where nostalgia comes alive. It's Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show. Roll it! Welcome to Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show, the podcast where nostalgia comes alive. Since July of 2021, Jake and his friends have interviewed professionals in the worlds of acting, directing, writing, puppeteering, and many more. Who will they be chatting with in this week's interview? Find out in this Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show episode. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show, where nostalgia comes alive. I'm here with Jake Duffenbaugh with today, as always. Our co-hosts, Chris Bixby and Matt Bingo. How are you guys doing? We're good. Good, Jakey. How are you doing? That's great to hear. I'm doing great, as always. Thank you for asking. Hey, Chris, what do we have for today? Our guest for today, he is a uh, songwriter and composer. He's worked on Sesame Street. Going back to the beginnings, he worked with Jim Henson himself on the Jim Henson Hour and some other projects as well. We're here to talk about that and some other things he's done as well. And here he is, Mark Rodice. Mark, happy to have you here. Thank you. Thanks for letting me be on here. Of course. Yeah, it's it's a pleasure. So so to kick this off, so could you, uh, even though I kind of did already, in your own words, could you uh, introduce yourself a little bit and what you do? But I'm Mark Rodice, uh, and I always tell people, if you could say my last name, you can't spell it, and vice versa. So then, and then three times a year, people say Radice correct, and I usually congratulate them. Congratulations! You're the second one that got to say my name, my last name right. Um, <laughs> as far as introducing myself, I started recording in 1964. I was signed to RCA Records at the age of seven. Wow. And we put five singles there. I put out my first album at 12. I toured with Donovan at 16. I was in a disco band at 18. I toured with Aerosmith at age 20. Wow. With, uh, CBS songs from 82 to 90. Uh, Aerosmith just announced their uh, Peace Out tour. And I, I called Brad yesterday. He was a car player. But he doesn't usually answer me. <laughs> <laughs> I called him, I'm like, you know, if you're looking for keyboards and vocals for the Peace Out tour that starts in September, I already know all the songs. Because yeah, <laughs> I toured with them for two years. Nice. But, uh, that's piece of it. Like I said earlier, I did another interview a couple of years back with some friends of mine from my hometown. And after six hours of talking, we got up to age 20. So I just tried to push you through my 20, up to 20. <laughs> <laughs> You kind of—I know you kind of touched up on it earlier, but what made you want to get into the music industry? Um, you know what's weird is I, I didn't want to get into the music industry. I was being a kid. I was—you know—if you're a seven-year-old kid, if you can remember when you were seven. I, another thing I used to do is I'd go out in the backyard and pretend to be a Mets baseball player. Here comes Mark Rodriguez! Mark Rodriguez! Mark Rodriguez! Number forty-two! Number forty-two! <laughs> exactly. So when I was when I was writing what I thought were fake songs, I was, and here's here's a new song by Mark Release. I mean, I'd fake it. So that's how I kind of, 
and also with my dad being in the industry of just basically following his footsteps right. to the point at a black attaché case that he would take with him to the studio and back at 10 years old I had a black attaché case hmm. that, that was how it started because my dad took me or what made me want to get into it I always thought I wanted to be an astrophysicist oh wow interesting some of your biggest musical influences? Whenever that gets asked on any like a thing that I have to put that, I always say Beethoven and Dolly Parton because it's completely ridiculous. <laughs> but in real life, I would say the Beatles and the Stones, I grew up on those. And then oh, of course. Led Zeppelin, mm-hmm. my poor parents. Mm-hmm. Once, once Led Zeppelin came out, my poor parents because I have the immigrant song going on all day at 11, like at the volume 11. 
mother <laughs> one day yelled from the bottom of the stairs, Mark, if you don't turn that down, I'm going to come up there and rip all your wires out. So I walked over to the top of the stairs. Like you know where they are. And then we just both laughed. <laughs> wow. Oh, that's yeah. cute. So before you began working for the Muppets and Sesame Street, did you have any familiarity with those franchises at all? Uh, uh yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> if if you if you want to, you can. Sit back and make popcorn, I'll try and keep it under two minutes. Okay? <laughs> okay. I was trying to CBS records in the eighties, uh CBS songs in the eighties, and I was writing for like Michael Bolton and all kinds of people or with them. And just put in a uh, a cassette of all the what they thought were their top songs. Um, that had not yet been recorded. Hmm. So somehow Barbara Streisand got a hold of one of my songs. Some good never last. Anyway, so um, I go to fly to California, and uh, like, and Phil Ramone was her producer. Now Phil Ramone had eight, had eighteen Grammys over his career, eighteen different Grammys. I eventually wound up moving in with Phil. So Phil introduced me to Jim Henson, and they loved the first four songs I did, and that's how I got involved in Muppets Go to Disney. I did a whole bunch of other things called Muppets on Wheels. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's how, because of Phil, I was introduced to Jim. And then I became fairly good friends with Jim, who would call me up and go, Hello. I go, don't, don't do that. Don't do the Kermit thing. You freak me out. It's like a doll staring at me. <laughs> wow. Conversations like this with Jim. Mm. Jim would say, 
world, and they're in the bottom of the Disney World in a laundry uh, a laundromat, but they think it's a ride. And I'm like, okay, uh, can you down an hour? So I call them back and I go, love in a laundromat. Who would have thought of that? I can't believe love at first sight. <laughs> oh my gosh! Love it. Wow. If you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure do. Grown-up jokes inside a kids' show. Yes. Like, Jim, what's the relationship between Gonzo and the chicken? He's like, we don't really like to talk about that. <laughs> yes, gotta love Gonzo and the chickens. They still don't. <laughs> Yeah, I know. <laughs> but, that. Um, so I had like four or five songs in Muppets Go to Disney, and I was there, which was really cool because I was in Disney with them while they were shooting it, and Jim was the kind of guy where he'd shoot 10 or 15 minutes of footage and, and then go back to writing like what was next. So everybody was involved. It wasn't like there was a full script. Right. You know what I mean? So like the next Dave's like, okay, we're going to have Epcot Center, we're going to have a band, uh, and we need like a rock song, and we're going to get like Edgar Winter, or uh, yeah, I think Edgar Winter, one of the winners to do a sax part for it, but we need it to be rock. So I'm like, okay, and this like happened, so I get told that in the morning, and by the next day, it was like over there with rock and rolling the world around, rock and rolling the world around, and some kind of twist in there, rock and rolling, rolling, rocking the world away. I forget, whatever. But came out good. Nice. So it was fun. Very fun to hear what they were going to do next. They loved the laundromat when they first wrote it. They loved the idea of the love at first cycle and you sent me spinning. But the uh, producer at the time he said it's a beautiful ballad and we can't do a damn thing with it. So I'm actually kind of curious, you know, since you talked about, I know this, I know Jake, this was a, your question, but I do kind of um, curious since you worked with Jim Henson a lot, can you share any uh, stories from working with uh, Jim and getting to know him? Monday, and, and uh, 
I didn't get an answer at his apartment, so I called the office or something. I'm like, Jim passed away last night. I'm like, what? He was, he was supposed to be three years ago. He was that rapid. He was uh, working on something else when he started just feeling really sick, and then eight hours later, he was gone. But I did go to his funeral, mm-hmm. and thousand people in the church in New York City and it turns out of course being Jim wrote his own funeral beginning which was uh, recited by his son and the very first sentence said now do you, do you know it? Uh, uh, his, his son Brian oh Brian yeah Brian, Brian. Brian. Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. So Brian walked up there. There's four thousand people in a church, and Brian said, "My father wrote his own, uh, like goodbye. I don't know when he did it. Maybe three or four years beforehand or something. But just in case. So the very first sentence was, first of all, I would like it to be a small gathering." <laughs> <laughs> from the Muppets and uh, with you know Sesame Street how did you begin working for them Clash, who used to be Elmo yes love Kevin when he was the Muppets, yes when Kevin was with the Muppets he had he was in a band called Solid Foam uh, so Kevin knew me from all the Muppet songs that I wrote and I was in some weird area in my life probably 2004 or 2005 where I said I just called. I called Kevin. I found his number. And I'm like, I'm just, I'm looking for something to do. I missed the whole Muppet thing. He was like, oh, man, we've been looking all over for you. I'm like, you could have called. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Right. I got the phone yeah. with this guy Epstein. Oh, yeah. I've Evan. heard some stories about him, yeah. Cute old, cute mm-hmm. old uh, Jewish guy who's probably 75, 80 years old. So I get this call from Danny. How you doing, kid? He always called me kid. Like, uh, goes, how you doing, kid? Uh, all right, this is the way things. This is how we do things around here. He was trying to do stuff with me, and I said, it's probably going to be 
the way you used to do things around here. He says, I like you, kid. You got spunk. So he says, I got this thing. It's a lyric. It's called, uh, you learn something new every million years. It's by a dinosaur. He goes, can you have it for me by the end of next week? I said, Danny, I can have it for you by dark. So I send it to him by dark. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Now, do you have any, well, I know you wrote a lot, but do you have any favorite songs you got to write for Sesame Street? I would say my most favorite is one called Proud. Oh, love yes. Proud. Yes, yes, I love that song. Yes, amazing. Ke- Kevin and yes. Kevin and uh, Bill Beretta, they did a fantastic wow. job on that song. Oh, yes. It was, it was pretty incredible. But, uh, Kevin called, and he didn't sound like Kermit. Oh, he didn't do that to me. <laughs> Kevin, like, he said, on the phone, he's a six-foot black man, right? So mm-hmm. I'd, I'd get a call from him, hey, mister, hey, <laughs> which was more like his Muppet voice. <laughs> but he's like, hey, mister, uh, we're doing this thing for the Army, and we got, like, uh, Elmo and his dad, but we need a song about how proud his dad is of Elmo. So I did my usual, all right, give me a couple hours. And I call him up. Hey, mister, what you got? Did you write the proud song? I go, yeah, I did. He goes, what's it called? (laughs) (laughs) When I write songs like that, I know they're going to be well-received because it's, it's so easy for me after thousands and thousands of songs if I get like a thing. I need a song about a coffee cup falling off a table in slow motion. Okay, you got it. So if he tells me, <laughs> I need a song about uh, proud about how proud Elmo is of his dad. When I sit down at the piano and I know that it's going to go right to Sesame Street, it's almost as if the song is already there. There's a uh, an analogy where sculptors who used to work in marble would say, the marble, the statue is already in the marble. All you have to do is chip away at the at the marble everything that isn't the statue. Make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another okay. uh so when, I'm thinking proud, uh, when, when I'm thinking proud, I'm just like hitting the piano. Like this song is already written. It's kind of like when I throw my socks down the stairs because I want to remember to put them in the laundry. Uh, when I see the socks land at the bottom of the stairs, I'm like, they were always there, and I just had to walk myself through my life to put them there. But they were already there. So to me, crowd was already there. All I had to do was figure out what wasn't in the song. All mm-hmm. the rest of it was proud as anyone could be. You know, proud, that's what you make me. I'm like this, I better start recording this because it's already here. And it took me... Uh, Maybe 20, 25 minutes, tops. Wow. Wow. Because it seemed like it was already there, you know? And I sent it Mm -hmm. to Kevin, and and I guess Kevin used to send me block letters because he was not very (laughs) very email savvy. Hmm. And also, (laughs) he spelled a lot of things wrong. So I would call him and I'd go, You're Elmo, and you spell things wrong. And he would say, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
Yeah, and, and another song that um you that you uh, yeah. wrote is uh, Puppet Man. Oh, Puppet Man, yes. Kevin, uh, his birthday was coming up, or something. <laughs> so, hey, Mister. So his birthday came up, and he and he said, uh, uh, I, I, and he was even a little sheepish about it. He said, "I was just wondering, Radice, could you uh, could you write me a birthday song?" like a song for my birthday about my life. And I said, well, gee, Kevin, would you like it to be a surprise? Birthday song. So, so I spent, that, that was a couple of days of just research with me going into Wikipedia and everything and watching some things about him as a kid. And uh-huh. I did that whole track is me again. Um, I'm the whole band on that. Now this is, that's a little different because that wound up in his um, being Elmo a puppeteer's journey. Yes, that was, love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's great talking, Mary. I think they might have used a different track for that. Oh, maybe that's what you're talking about. They might have used a different track because I, I know they used a different singer for that. Hmm. Yeah, but yeah, that might be it. Yeah. Right. If you go to Marketing on Puffed on Spotify, there's my version that I sent him. And then mm, eventually okay. he started got the birthday thing. Thank you. Thank you, mister. And uh, he got the birthday song. And then he was doing that. He was shooting all that. Uh, the journey thing. And they decided to use it as a credit. At, at the end of the credits. Mm-hmm. But they did bring in, they did bring in another vocalist. So I'm wrong about that. Apologize. That's okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, no worries. No worries. You also, you also uh, co-wrote, and I think you also sang on the song uh, "Tickle Me Land" oh, for yeah. Elmo's World. Yeah, if you look it up on YouTube, that's all me, and I'm the singer. So it's the band coming out of the Disenchanted Cottage, which was the name of my studio slash three room cottage that I had in Keensburg, New Jersey. So that's basically what you're hearing is just 18 of me. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. What was that you were just talking about? Huh? Uh, Tickle Me Land. Right, right. So if you go on YouTube, the only thing that isn't me on YouTube, because they have it there, is just Elmo. Just going. <laughs> <There's a song. laughs> I called Kevin. I'm like, just laugh for a few minutes because I need to put it in the song. But the rest of it is, uh, you know, Dolphy has a place in her head where everything is wonderful, furry and red. So, and it's and it's my I, I use it in Sonic keyboards. They're so old they use floppy disks. I still use them to this day. Wow. You actually have to pop it floppy disk and then it will it will oh Yeah. The words of my grand the words of my grandfather. Eh, 
that out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What are you gonna do? So did you have did you have any favorite characters to write for on Sesame Street or the Muppets? Uh, well, I mean, most of it was Domo. So there we go. Adam Sandler one. Oh yeah, yeah, a song about Adam. Oh, yeah. I love that one. Yes. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Yes, that's a. Great... And uh, <laughs> Adam couldn't get the second chord. Which I call a spider chord because I, I taught myself to I taught myself to um, play instruments myself like I never had any lessons so I named a lot of my chords things that aren't actually chords that you would call no there's no such thing as a spider chord in real music but Adam couldn't get the spider chord so I I drove out to uh, Sesame Street and I met Adam. And I tried to show him the spider cord. He was like, "Could I just use my thumb?" I'm like, "Sure." And and I'll I'll play the guitar. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll just send you the guitar. You can sing it. If you watch Adam Sandler on Song About Elmo on YouTube, you can see it's two different guitars. <laughs> hmm. Right? Because you're listening to me, but you're watching him. Mm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's that. And I'm like, that is where he was supposed to play the spider chord. And you can hear the spider chord, but he's using his thumb. But it was, mm-hmm. it was fun. I mean, it was great to meet him. Yeah. Call me buddy all day. Aww. Hey, buddy. Uh-huh. And he was like, so, do you write anything else besides Sesame songs? And I was like, yeah, I wrote a few. At the time, I had like <laughs> thousand songs. Mm. Yeah, oh. things. Enjoy getting to do it with them. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so, um, so I was just gonna uh, quickly bring up. So on on Sesame, you also uh, wrote a lot of music for some of the specials they did, like uh, Elmo's Christmas Countdown. Sure. Um, uh, I actually did. The whole special, that whole uh, Christmas countdown, I think is 48 minutes long by the time they put commercials in and everything to make it an hour. Mm. But uh, I remember being in the disenchanted cottage and I was doing 16 hour days working on it. Because the front of almost Christmas countdown, even there's somebody sliding down a mountain of snow or something. And I was trying to underscore it, and I kept. It took me <laughs> twenty minutes to write. Underscoring, like some some guy skiing down a mountain, took me probably four hours for twenty seconds because he was coming down the mountain, and I had to hit it correctly when he crashed. I didn't have Simpty or any of that stuff back then, so I was writing. <laughs> <laughs> like that <laughs> just a millisecond off you're like oh man just testing it forever and I'm like that is so that's it's five seconds of the whole thing and I'm trying to get oh, I'm just gonna need three more notes <laughs> finally hit and then from there it's like okay here's the next section but uh 
favorite things about that was Cheryl Crow did a release song called It's Almost Christmas. Oh, yes, that's a great one. Which I went right back to stealing from the Beatles. (laughs) (laughs) When I was a kid, because all it did was, uh, the mood is up, the time is right, to simply have Mm. a wonderful Christmas time. Mm -hmm. It's Paul McCartney. Yeah. But mine goes, it's almost Mm -hmm. Christmas. It's almost Christmas. Ever since it's the same feel. As, as Paul, and doesn't he wish he was me now? But hmm. but it was the same feel. And again, Cheryl came in, and I actually have a picture of us, and she didn't like the sound of her $3,000 guitar, so I brought in my $300 acoustic. And she liked that sound better, but we didn't have enough time. So we shot her. Uh, I remember this, this set. And snow coming down. I'm like, what are you guys using for snow? They're like, we have these blowing machines, and they're blowing soap suds. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> soap. Dots of soap coming down. Right. Yeah. All, all during mm. Cheryl's thing, and I'm watching, <laughs> watching her trying to remember the chords for it, but she couldn't remember. My fun, the funniest spot was. There was a section where Elmo's supposed to be talking to her. Hey, Miss Cheryl! Or whatever. And she's she's singing and talking to him. And two or three times, just because the way it was uh, written in the script, she kept hitting, hitting Elmo in the head with her guitar because she had to turn to another camera. Oh, wow. She kept whacking him in the neck. Oh. With, with, with her guitar neck. So we had to get that way. Then again, almost like, exactly like with Adam Sandler, since she couldn't, she didn't have time. I mean, she was Cheryl Crow, she was very busy. Mm-hmm. So she didn't have time to uh, learn the chords and shoot the thing and get out of there in time. So she just, we strapped the guitar on her and she played what she thought was, a, what she thought might have been the chords or kind of looked like the chords. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I got a hold of the audio of Cheryl's guitar, which was nothing like my guitar that they used in the show. Hers was like bang 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 bing 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 I sent her the video with her guitar. Mm. Like this is what it would really have sounded like if we used your guitar. <laughs> <laughs> the the banter in the studio with Leslie and Kevin was almost as good as when Jim Henson and Frank Oz were in the studio. The bantering that went on oh. that nobody heard mm. is uh, mm. just her, her crazy. Like, uh, Leslie would be on the microphone doing her Abby. <laughs> and then once they shut the tape, or not the tape, they were recording. I just dated myself. The music. <laughs> but Leslie would, like, once she knew that she wasn't recording, <laughs> she could say something like, Elmo one yesterday tried to touch my no no button. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh.
Mm. Right, yeah. But with with Jim and Frank Oz, I remember a similar studio banter type situation where Jim and Frank, they do the old men. Oh, I hate that thing. Yeah, yeah, me too. All right, let's go somewhere else. You know, the old guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, all in, uh, yeah. In Muppets Go to Disney, there's a song called Who's Your Lady Friend? Hello, who's your lady friend? The two old guys are singing, Who's your lady friend? And then the, back then we did have tape. So the tape stopped, and Jim said, Japair? <laughs> oh my god. Wow. Mm. This is really behind the scenes, boys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, definitely. I remember you uh, wrote a song for a Tina Fey in that uh, Pirates episode that they did. Uh, Buccaneers, yeah, that was that was Buccaneers. I I have a thing here. Hold on. Uh, Big Hit Two, Bye Bye Binky, Dirt Dirt Dirt. That was fun. Elmo's riding, Elmo's ducks. Enough left to go around. Oh, almost du- almost ducks is a good one. Yeah, it's another really good one. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Almost ducks. Shoes that'll make you hot. 
I got shoes. It's got all this crazy Denise stuff in it. And it would take the Sesame Street band 10 hours to learn all the parts that they put to it. So in a way, I can almost backtrack and go, I can see why they used my stuff. But it just wasn't fair that they paid the band. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, Six Penguins and McSure was really cool. And then, this is actually listed here, you learn something new every million years. That's the very first one I wrote for Sesame. Nice. But that came through pretty cool. Nice. It's just a, it's just a, a skippy thing. And it's weird, because Danny <laughs> was the first guy I talked to, he's a little Jewish guy. I adored him to pieces. But, uh, the dinosaur is Jewish. It's like, you learn something new every million years. Forget it, let's go to the hook. You learn something new. <laughs> Stuff like that. So, I mean, I had a lot of fun, but at the same time, I was thinking, this is, I finally, after all these years, have reached the point where if I keep going with these guys, this will be my retirement money. I'm getting older. I was in my 50s when I was doing that. And, uh, you know, I turned around. <sighs> the reason it's on my mind so much is because this has been going on for two months between somebody at SSB and, like, we have to fix this. I know what it says in the contract, but I'm over here struggling at 65 years old. And I was promised something, that, and that all the work that I did for you guys was under the assumption that I was going to make some decent money in royalties. The thing that hurts the most is even after I left, and it's been 10 years now, the, if, as years go by, millions of views pile up, which means Universal, who now is the administrator for Sesame, is raking in thousands and thousands of publishing dollars every year. It gets higher and higher and higher, and I have to sit here and go, they're not going to give this to me because I was tricked into this signing. So on the, on the subject of celebrities, you've also written a number of songs for celebrities outside of Sesame Street. Can you talk about that? Uh, yeah, I guess. Um, a, a song I did when I was 10. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
But mm-hmm. um, that was uh, the first thing, I guess, playing with celebrities. As far as writing with celebrities, uh, I have to go back into my own wiki page here. Uh, let's just talk about me, right? <laughs> <laughs> You've written a number of songs for celebrities outside of Sesame Street. But not not all the time, though. All right. Well, thank you for being kind. Mm-hmm. Of course, yes. Uh, yeah, of course. Of course. Um, so over the years, as as you brought up Donovan and Cheap Trick and Aerosmith, you've toured with them. What was it like going on a road on the road and touring with these bands? Um, with Aerosmith, we were it was seventies, late seventies. I was just getting, uh, I had the disco record that was a hit all over the East Coast, but Steven Tyler, who used to be my drummer when I was 10, he was getting huge with Aerosmith. So he called me up, he's like, we're looking for, actually I had just come off a Donovan tour, and I was in LA, and Steve saw me in the lobby of, I think it was the Lermitage Hotel or something. And I saw him, I saw him, and we both pointed at each other just before the elevator door closed. But all I saw was, which was supposed to be Mark. (laughs) He got off at the second floor. I was running down this spiral staircase. He's like, what the hell are you doing here? I mean, talk about being at the right place at the right time, right? 
Mm-hmm. He said, uh, man, we're looking for keyboard and vocals. I know you're phenomenal. You want to come join the band? I'm like, I just, I just joined. I just, just, this is like the third to last day of the Donovan tour, which is why I'm here. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking forward to go home. He's like, well, we're not going to, we're not going out for two or three months. He's like, and he looks at me, he's like, we got our own plane. And I'm like, I hate flying. <laughs> well, uh, I'll let you write some of the songs. And I said, when do I leave? <laughs> Got me. I'll let you write some of the songs. Fast forward two years later, some morning we wrote something called Bluebird, I think. Mm. Two years into me touring with them. I graduated from I'm I'm 23. I just graduated from high school like five years ago. And last last I know, I think they still had school bells. Jakey, you would know. You're you're younger than me. Did they did did they have school school bells when you were in high school? Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Same yeah. same for okay, me. So I, they still have. Yeah. yeah. They still. Okay. They still have them. Some of the C 
scenery changes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So my parents actually called me one one night from somewhere, and I'm just out there floating around and touring and doing the same shows every night. And of course, when you're touring with a major band and you pull into somewhere like Boston or Detroit or Los Angeles, because you're in the town, everybody in town wants to party with you. So after the shows, the parties would last because of a certain white powder way up until around like 6 a.m. And then we'd have to get on a plane at 10 a.m. every single day. Oh my gosh. Wow. Now check 3 p.m. show 8 p.m. Party starts 11 p.m. goes on to 6 a.m. Get up 10 a.m. Get on a plane, go to the next town, sound check at 3 p.m. Like that, over and over and over and over and over. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah, so my parents called me and they were like, "Uh, where are you? And I was like, I don't know. I'll have to check my itinerary. What date is it? And they're like, it's, it's the 21st. And they go, apparently I'm in Idaho. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So you also perform a lot of your own songs live at various events. Do you have any like favorite solo songs you've written? Oh, oh sure. Uh, well, obviously, Some Good Things Never Last, because that was re- uh, recorded by Barbra Streisand and Barry Manilow and 62 other people on YouTube. But uh, it's one of mine called I Was Justin Bieber Way Before He Was. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, that is on YouTube, and it's got this whole thing of me, me which after you finish this interview and watch that, You'll be like, now I kind of get release. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. The reason I wrote that is because at the time, at the time, YouTube was just forming and, and people were trying to figure out ways to get people to watch their YouTube videos. At the same, during that week, Justin Bieber was getting so many hits on his new, so many views on his new song. Yeah. That my idea was it would look like I mean I was I would literally watch the new Justin Bieber thing on YouTube as the comments were coming in every five seconds from people mm. it was just every five seconds somebody else would need it so my smart my smart I almost said the, the A word my smart aleck idea was if I put the words Justin Bieber, Bieber in my title and people click on YouTube for Justin Bieber. Mm-hmm. It could possibly come up. I was Justin Bieber way before he was. Because I was. <laughs> <laughs> he started like he started like when, he, when he was 12. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was 7. Mm-hmm. So it actually goes, I was Justin Bieber way before he was. Except that I was better. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Oh, the way, like as in way better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean that's that's one of my favorites. 
and people are laughing at that. It's just my, my sense of humor. I have to learn sometime right. before I die and everything on somebody else other than myself because obviously I, I get myself into these situations and then I'm like, well, now it's your fault that I'm here. Hmm. Almost everything that I described. You know, it was really a really good run, and you got to do hundreds of things that most normal people don't even do. Right. So you really can't see there's good in everything. You know, it was wonderful to work with Kevin as Elmo. It was wonderful to it was wonderful to be in in uh, New Jersey working on a new Sesame Street song, and at the same time I'd had the TV on. And I would hear something that I wrote a month before. And it's also wonderful to know as a songwriter that working with Sesame Street that they're playing in over a hundred countries and whatever it is that you're writing. I mean, I had a probably 97% rate of first shot. First shot, like I would send them a song and it would be like, perfect. The other 3% one of my favorite things with Sesame is they're like, <laughs> could you add another verse to this song and make it shorter? <laughs> <laughs> you can only get like two minutes for a song. Mm-hmm. Right? So yeah. I'm like, okay, you want me to add another verse to this song and make it shorter? So I sent them back. It sounded like this. They call me back. What the hell is this? That's what you asked me for. So, um, so I'm kind of curious. Do you have any like favorite performing locations? Wow. Wow. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, once with Donovan, twice with Aerosmith. What? Uh, nice. Awesome. That's cool. I mean, you know, because the old, the old saying goes, how do you get to Madison Square Garden? Practice, man, practice. Yep. That's the old joke. Yep. But uh, <laughs> it was amazing to me to be 20 years old and at my third time mm. at 20 in the garden. Yeah. So 
they took us out of the limos, put us in helicopters, and we, and we landed 20 feet behind the stage. Wow. I got out of the helicopter, it was and I'm looking at the sea, 150,000 people in front of me, and I played one note on the keyboard, and it went, ding, 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 off into space. And I looked at my finger, and I said, did we just do that? <laughs> So aside from that, you've also uh, done some uh, songwriting work for companies like AT&T and American Greetings. Can you kind of touch base a bit on your uh, work with them? Sure. AT&T was just, uh, was I think for a convention, um, like some big convention, I had to do uh, 20 minutes of just convention music or whatever that is. Which is similar to like when you're the trick to being a um, an underscorer for a movie is you have to convey an emotion, but you also have to make music so that it's you can't make the music so noticeable that people notice it. <laughs> hmm. you know what I mean? If you're watching a movie, like a, a prime example is Jaws, you're not really paying attention to the fact that it's music going. Right. You're just aware that it's right. So you have to match the music to what you're looking at, and that's the key to be an underscore or a, a, or a movie writer, right? So like back to uh, the Elmo thing, Christmas Countdown with the with the snow and the. If you ask people, what did you just see? I'd say 98% of the people would say, I just saw some guy skiing down a mountain and he crashed. The other 2% would say, somebody had to write the underscore for that, so it sounded like, <laughs> nobody even pays attention to it. If, you, if, you're, if your music is not being paid attention to, but is conveying the feeling that you're looking at, then you did your job. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Once, once Sesame, once I go going back half an hour from now once I realized that Sesame was basically lying to me I decided to leave them and then I was uh, sitting in New Jersey going what am I going to do next and then my friend had just moved to Tennessee I've been in Tennessee now for 11 years my friend was out there in the at a Christmas party talking about yeah we got a band down here in Tennessee and they call them the Swampers, and we're doing country. We're just doing, like, basically country karaoke. We just copy the country top 20 songs of the week. And then we put it on karaoke sites, and they're making, like, $450 a day. And I'm like, well, that sounds like a great idea. Why don't I go do that? So I put all I owned from New Jersey into a truck and moved and drove it down here to Tennessee, where I am right now. And... After about four days, I talked to my friend, who I shall re- remain nameless, and I said, okay, I'm here. I'm done with Sesame. I need to make a living. Then where's this Swamper thing with $450 a day? And he said, oh, that's only one day a month. Wow. <laughs> <Come on. laughs> so a month later, we came up with something called Sing and Spell, hmm. which you can find on Tubi TV. You know what that is? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So you are also writing a book about your time on Sesame called "What Happened on the Street." Can you talk about that? I pretty much did in drips and drabs so far, but "What Happened on the Street" is a chapter from my book that I've been writing for thirty years. My friend now has called it "Can He Write a Book?" <laughs> <laughs> but I've never. That's nice. No. Awesome. Mm. And then... Together 
first they were very uh, standoffish because, like, man, we gotta use another right. But they loved what I was doing, but it wasn't them, you know. So I knew I, I kept working on it, and working on it for a few four, four or five days, and then eventually I could hear them talking in the corner. You know, I really like this this one spot here, Darren. <laughs> so. So, uh, if they're not talking to me about it, but if they're talking about it, I'm on to something. Uh, oh, and I do also, because I forgot to bring it up, but um, I do want to quickly mention that yesterday before uh, we did the interview, I watched uh, that performance of the song you wrote, uh, Thank You Teachers, where Elmo performed with uh, Peter and Paul. Yes. That was okay. a great one. Mm. Uh, Thank you, teachers. That was, uh, thankfully, another good memory. Um, they called me up. Hey, mister. And he's like, I'm working with Peter, Paul, and Elmo. Mary's not feeling too well. And uh, it's just going to be Peter, Paul, and Elmo. We need a song, a uh, teacher appreciation song. So I, I wrote it. Uh, they loved it. I went into New York City. I actually met with Peter and Paul and Elmo at Peter and Paul. Oh, awesome. It was very surreal because I grew up with Peter, Paul, and Mary being 180 years old. But they had a song called Puff the Magic Dragon. Hmm. Ah, yes. Classic. Which I thought at the time was a reference to the green leafy substance. Mm -hmm. But, but, uh, But so my first thought was just give thank you teachers that feel. Thank you, teachers, thank you for showing all of us away. So you, you always, I take a leap from something that is familiar. Like, the same same thing with you, Trek. Like, you can't just show them a, a waltz or a polka. Right. <laughs> right. I don't like them in the first place. For mm-hmm. them to go, yeah, I kind of like that. Right? Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a, uh, so that's how that, it was very surreal and, and great to hang out with them. Uh, actually, Peter and Paul had a book called Puff the Magic Dragon, which they signed for me, which is downstairs next to my fireplace. Oh, nice. But, uh, an interesting story with that idea in mind of making it sound like them in the first place so they like it is I actually had to do a commercial for Pampers and Judy Collins. Now, if you look up a song called I've Looked at Life from Both Sides Now, uh, it was Judy Collins' hugest hit, and I had to write a song for Pampers that Judy was going to sing. So her melody to her biggest hit is, I've looked at life from both sides now. So I counted the syllables on that. I've looked at life from both sides now. Like, okay, that's eight syllables. Now, Pampers wants me to write a song for Judy Collins, and the slogan is, Pampers is dryness from day one. Like, perfect. Eight syllables. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take both sides now and write it backwards. So I took, I've looked at life from both sides now, and I wrote, Pampers is dryness from day one. Oh, wow. It's her hit. Backwards, oh wow. Gosh. Interesting. So yeah. She's like, and she's like, 
really like that melody. <laughs> <laughs> so, you never do. Exactly. So, since we're since we're kind of yeah. getting close to uh, wrapping up, uh, is there anything you're uh, besides the book? Of course, is there anything else you're currently working on that you can share? I just did a bunch of stuff because I heard that if you get sync placements in TV shows, if you do covers of other people's songs, um, if, if you offer a sync placement to a movie or a commercial, like for instance, Wild World by Cat Stevens, if you want to put that in your movie, the original version, it's probably about $25,000 from his publishing company that would, they would require. Hmm. Now, if I do, hint, hint, a version of Wild World that is similar or in some cases might be better, uh, I can offer sync and commercial people like one-tenth. I'll go like, I'll, I'll let you use my version for 2500 instead of 25000 and it could be in the movie. So I just did 10 of those. And it's called Back in 10. And if you want to know more about it, please email me at radisongs, R-A-P-I-S-O-N-G-S, which is kind of like reduced songs, ever reduced, radisongs at yahoo.com. If you email me there and go, I'd like to know more about Back in 10, and leave your phone number, I'll call you like I'm a virtual record store. And I will send you to a Dropbox link which I have been selling for $10 a, a link, and I sold 35 in two weeks. Hmm. kind of wow. amazing. So in other words, you I get wow. on the phone with you, and I go, hi, it's Mark Reduce. We're, we're, this is my virtual record store. I have one record in here. Which one would you like? <laughs> well, I'd like back in 10. I'm like, okay, now here, here's the link. Now do this, do this, do this, do this. Go to the top left hand. It's download if you want to pay me. Here's my PayPal. So again, radisongs at yahoo.com, R-E-D-S-O-N-G-S at yahoo.com, with your name and phone number. Nice. Uh, and I've been doing that. Nice. People are giving me brief reviews. Uh, one song, uh, uh, one song is five different songs involved inside the song because I can't help myself. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, and basically, I'm still trying to get that those things into movies or commercials or whatever. Awesome. Um, I did a bunch awesome. of songs that I grew up with. I stuck in the middle with you. And a couple of Elton John songs. I did uh, I Can't Get No Satisfaction from the Stones. Uh, there's a Steely Dan cut in there. Any major dude will tell you. So I, I did that last month.
the heavenly sound of someone or something finally shutting up. <laughs> which, which I think you can really do once you get me off the phone. <laughs> right? The heavenly sound of right. someone or something finally shooting up. I'll give you an example. Somebody had a chainsaw out here in Tennessee that went on for two hours. <laughs> and it then the stopping of it was the heavenly sound mm-hmm. of someone right. or something shutting up. Right. like to say to those who have supported the projects you've worked on over the years? The projects I've worked on? Mm-hmm. There's, yeah. There's, there's so many. Thank you, everyone. I feel, I feel like this is the thing you're going to play at my funeral. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for uh, my friends. Is, uh, you know what they're going to say. You know what's going to say on your grave. Here lies Mark Redis. He used to play with the Aerosmith. <laughs> <laughs> and then I said, "No, they used to play with me." <laughs> so, so yeah, if yeah, uh, for sure. yes, uh, if people would like yeah, to, uh, oh, go ahead. Opportunity, you know, mm-hmm. I appreciate all the opportunities. It's been an amazing, amazing life. Uh, I'm still working on the book. I could write a book. I hope it comes out before I leave you know because the irony is i'm thinking for three days after i pass away everything is going to spike like all the spotify and stuff and then mm. i'll be like okay well it's too late now yeah <laughs> yeah right it works yeah mm-hmm. so my, mm-hmm. my game at this stage in my career is to get some sort of recognition so that i can have maybe one or two or People would like to connect with you. Where can people find you? I'm on Facebook. I'm pretty easy to find on Facebook. Uh, I usually go on there and I'm like, let me see what my friends that I went to high school with are eating today. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so true. That's so true. Oh my gosh. Uh, 
but I can be found there. Also, the Radisongs at Yahoo.com. I generally answer everybody because at this point, you know, I'm sitting out here in Tennessee with my cat, who I adore. We'll find a way. So, to, so to wrap this up, so the, the last question that uh, Jake's about to ask is the question that we ask all of our guests at the end. Take it, Jake. Yes. Go ahead, Jake. So, uh, of course, you know, this podcast is called Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show. So when you think of, when you think of nostalgia, what do you think of, or you can say in your own words, how would you define the word nostalgia? Sounds like something you might have to go to the doctor for. <laughs> Mm. Michael Cavanaugh, my friend, has a thing called synesthesia, and it's where you, and he's another, we didn't even touch on that, I have perfect pitch, but one of my friends says, how do you know somebody has perfect pitch? Don't worry, they'll tell you. Mm. But my friend Michael Cavanaugh has synesthesia, like when he hears a C chord, he sees like the color orange, it kind of blends in, Mm -hmm. and this is from nostalgia. But I said to him, synesthesia? It sounds to me like you're allergic or afraid of synthesizers. Hmm. <laughs> that's where the nostalgia thing comes from, I guess. I got I got nostalgia in my left arm. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, uh, Mark, thank you so much. Off. Yes. <laughs> yes, Mark, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. This was fun. Yes, thank you so much for doing it. It's a blast. Yeah. And- Letting me vent, and I hope you yeah. keep in some of the vertebrate stories. Yeah, we will. Yeah, of course, thank yeah. you. Yeah, of course, for sure. Mm-hmm. And and thank you so well, much, Mark, well, for for what you do to be a part of our lives. And, you know, keep up your great work, and see what's next for you. Can't wait for the book to come out as well. So, really looking yes. forward to that. Thank you very much. Uh, with that, uh, thank you, folks, for joining us for another Jake's Happiness Dodge Show episode. We've absolutely enjoyed our time with Mark Radice. And uh, stay tuned. We've got some wonderful episodes coming. And remember to keep nostalgia alive. Thanks for joining us, folks. We'll see you next time. So long. Next time. Take care, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to another wonderful Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show interview. Be sure to follow Jake and the crew on social media and stream the show wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And as always, remember to keep nostalgia alive. Bye bye.